Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. We did a series a couple weeks ago called Real Man, Only Savior, and it's a study through the book of Luke. This is our last gospel account that we're looking at. Uh, We started way back in February, moving through Matthew and then Mark, and then we put John in front of Luke uh, so that we could take Luke and Acts as one continuous narrative since they were both written uh, by the same author. And so we're here, we're in the third uh, five sermons. Last, uh, so far what we've learned is that Luke took great uh, care uh, to embed within his account a lot of secondary Uh, but very real historical details so that the Greeks that he and Paul were ministering to on their missionary journeys, who were very detail-oriented and very factual uh, in their faith, could see and go and corroborate those facts. And therefore, if the secondary facts were were true, then all the primary facts about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection must also be true because they could go and talk to Pontius Pilate and go and talk to the centurion that declared this truly was the son of God. And so Luke's, one of Luke's main points was to show that Jesus was in fact a real man. Last week I talked about Jesus being the revelation of God's love and character in this world. And one of the hallmarks of Jesus's life and ministry was compassion. And, and if you were here last week or you listened online, you know that that was for me a very per, uh, personally a very challenging uh, sermon because I tend to not be extremely compassionate. And so all this week, and in fact, wouldn't you know it, as soon as this, uh, the service was done, I had uh, a chance to practice compassion. My old, uh, middle boy uh, was running up the bleachers in kids' church, something he shouldn't have been doing, but he ran up, tripped, and like gashed his eye open. And so what was my natural response? How did this happen? You know, like, like a man would, right? Like, he's like, well, you, what do you think was going to happen? Then I caught myself. I caught myself. I literally just preached on this five minutes earlier. You know, I was like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. So I, I got a chance to, chance to practice that. And this happened several times throughout this week. So I, I want you to know that uh, I am growing, or at least trying to grow, <laughs> be more compassionate. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, just... Something that, again, I found personally to be very challenging. I actually think it will be challenging to quite a, quite a few uh, people who say that they are professing believers in Christ, whether they're here today or listening online. And I, th- I think that'll become evident. But, you know, Jesus was extremely relatable. Like, he could relate to just all sorts of people, all ages from all sorts of backgrounds. And this endeared him to others. It allowed him... As Luke says, and we'll get to this in just a moment, in 1910, to seek and to save the lost. You'll hear me say this probably five or six times today. He couldn't save them if he didn't seek them. And he couldn't, when he found them, he couldn't save them if he didn't first build that relationship with them. Okay? And he couldn't have a relationship unless he started to relate to them. And so I'm going to show you a few things that he did. And I think that uh, you'll walk away a bit challenged in how you relate to others, especially to non-believers. You know, uh, we, I started thinking about this whole idea of relationships and relating to others. The first thing that came to my mind was the fact that there are like 7.5 billion people on planet Earth as of 2017, and it's getting more and more all the time. 
And the, the wondrous thing about all this is that not a single one of them are exactly the same. Every single one of them is unique. Even twins are, are unique in their personalities. See, that differences are inherently a part of human nature, it, but it's our differences that often hinder us from building positive relationships with others. Even the one human being that I know better than anyone else, my wife, uh, Jamie, is very different than I am. You know, even like when we're in a tall building, she, she prefers to take the elevator, whereas I prefer to take the stairs. And we tried to work this difference out, you know, but it, it just didn't, we couldn't find a, a resolution. So I guess we're just raised differently. If you, oh, oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. All, all kidding aside, Jamie and I really are very, very different individuals. Uh, and, you know, when I think about, well, what makes it hard for me to relate to others? When do I stumble for words? When do I feel those awkward moments of silence because neither of us really know what to say or do next, right? It usually it's when there's this tremendous difference between myself and that other person. Um, and a lot of times those differences arise during the course of conversation. If nobody's talking, there's no problem, Right? because it's not awkward. Everybody's just sitting in silence. But as soon as we start talking and we figure out, oh, oh, you like different, oh, I, and you kind of just like, oh, I never heard of that. I don't even know what to say. Uh, one more recent example in my own personal life was uh, uh, last spring, evidently the, the last season of Game of Thrones came out or something. It's like the most popular TV show in the entire world, in the world. Like millions and millions of people watch this show. I personally have never watched this show. Um, but the, the other teachers, they were talking about how much they love it. They were talking about the various plot points and the characters and who's going to die next and all this kind of stuff. And that somehow the conversation turned towards me and whether or not I had watched the show. Well, I hadn't, but I had read a review on Focus on the Family that basically described Game of Thrones as an ultra-violent, pornographic Lord of the Rings. And so I said, well, I'm not going to watch that show. All right. And so I told them that. I said, oh, you know, this is what I read online. You know, did, is this true? Is it an ultra-violent, pornographic Lord of the Rings type, you know, uh, fantasy movie? And this one guy chuckled and said, yep, that's exactly what it is. And I said, well, I, I, I just can't, I just don't watch that kind of stuff. And he, it kind of got quiet, you know, it kind of got quiet. And everybody was like, well, what do we say now? You know, so I, unfortunately, I was kind of a mood killer that day. Uh, but I didn't have a whole lot more to say, so we kind of moved on from that conversation, you know. But generally, as I've gotten older, I I've learned how to carry conversation with just about anyone, of any political age, you know, just all over the place. I can carry conversation with lots of different people, primarily because I've learned how to minimize the differences between us and to seek out that, that common ground that we have. In fact, one of the nicest compliments that I've uh, received was uh, someone mentioned that even though I'm a deeply religious person, I'm not needlessly offensive to those who are not, and that I can generally get on with just about anybody. And so when I heard that, I thought, well, I must be growing, so praise the Lord. That's praise good. Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> so what about you? When do you have a hard time relating to others? I think if you and I are honest, then we would say that it's when the differences between us and other people seem insurmountable. I mean, for each of us, that situation that leaves us like really awkward feeling and unsure of what to say next, it, it 
it differs, right? It differs among us. So for some, it could be when we interact with people of different races or different religions or different ages or life stages or political parties or people who disagree on economic policies or uh, maybe it's a career position like a blue-collar, white-collar thing. It could be what state you're from. I know I'm from Michigan, so I don't even talk to Ohio people. Like, <laughs> I, as far as I'm concerned, there's only 49 states in the United States. So... And I'm sure that they feel the same towards me, okay? Uh, it could be what part of the city we're in. It could be the kind of clothes we wear, or the food we eat. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And when you really think about it, the, the number of differences between us as individuals is, is endless. And, but if we keep, kept or allowed, I should say, if we allowed our differences to uh, dictate when we relate to people, we would relate to people hardly ever because every one of us are different, okay? And so a truly mature person and Christian is one who has learned to relate to others despite their differences. When we learn how to relate to people who live and think differently than us, then we're gonna have the impact on people's lives that God wants us to have. And so we're gonna see this today in the life of Jesus. And as I showed last week in my sermon, he was the revelation of God right? I mean, if there was anybody who was truly different from everyone else, it was Jesus. I mean, there wasn't any, who else could claim to be the sinless son of God? Nobody. And so if anybody would have had a hard time relating, if anybody would have felt awkward, you know, when Game of Thrones came up or this or that came up, it would have been Jesus, right? Because he was sinless. He was like perfect in every way. And so, but we don't see that as I'll show you today. We don't see him at a loss for words. We don't see him feeling awkward around people. We don't see him insulating himself from people who are sinful or selfish. We see him, in fact, doing exactly the opposite. Why? Because he wanted to teach them about the kingdom of God. He had a greater mission in mind. Luke 19.10, I'll bring it up again. He came to seek and to save those who are lost, and he would never be able to do that if he didn't engage them and didn't build relationships with them, even if they were just temporary relationships, as we'll see in these stories. What I want you to understand is that your kingdom impact, your impact in people's spiritual lives is directly proportional to your ability to relate to them. If you cannot relate to them, you cannot lead them to the Lord. Not at all, okay? And so we have to grow in this way. I'm going to share with you two stories today, one kind of a general and one more of a specific story. And we're going to see how Jesus uh, made an impact through relating to others. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. We're going to be uh, here and then in Luke 19 for a few verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's kind of our unofficial official translation. And if you need a Bible, um, you don't have one of your own. There's some right on that table right there. Just help yourself keep it. It's a gift from Cornerstone Church. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Luke records tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Well, if you look in verse 1, you see the word often. And that word indicates to me, as it should to you, that this was a pretty regular occurrence. Right? If something happens often, it happens regularly. It happens more than once. It happens with, some, with some, uh, a high frequency, I guess you could say. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners are coming with, uh, 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 on a frequent basis to hang out with Jesus, to eat with him, to listen to him teach. Okay? This left the religious elite dumbfounded. They're like, how can you do that? Like, don't you know if you're truly a teacher, you need to like leverage your righteous advantage and not associate with these people. They, they couldn't believe that Jesus would want to build relationships with these sinful people. And so we see in these two verses, uh, two groups of people, both claiming a relationship with God. Okay, on one hand, we see uh, Jesus, and on the other, we have the Pharisees. We have these religious elite. But the two the ways they relate to these uh, sinners was exactly the opposite. Jesus tended to engage the sinner, right? Whereas the Pharisees did not. They actually avoided them. Jesus tended to infiltrate the spaces where sinners lived, but Pharisees tended to insulate themselves from all interactions with sinners, okay? Both groups, uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, they had an intimate knowledge of scriptures and therefore uh, had a good understanding of God's will for people's lives, right? But only Jesus actually put that good, put that knowledge to good use by teaching those who did not have the knowledge, right? In essence, Jesus shared his knowledge of God's will, but the Pharisees hoarded it. And so I think, worse yet, they abused it. They actually leveraged their knowledge of scriptures to give them a righteous advantage. They purposely kept people ignorant of what God wanted from them, okay? And that way they could point the finger and say, look how sinful you are. Well, maybe they wouldn't be so sinful if you taught them something, right? That's what Jesus' attitude. And so he shares a, uh, a story to illustrate the difference between himself and these Pharisees. And in this story, look back through it again. In this story, Jesus represents the, the good shepherd and the notorious sinners that he's, Luke's talking about represent the lost sheep. The good shepherd takes initiative, goes to where the lost sheep are, and, and when it is found, the shepherd rejoices. And so while it's not plainly stated, Jesus is implying that the contrast of this story is true as well, meaning that the Pharisees were not good shepherds as evidenced by the fact that they were not taking initiative to go and help those who were lost, those who were ignorant of God's will. And so even though they had the ability to help people, these Pharisees chose not to help because simply when they chose not to build a relationship with them. One thing I think that people often forget um, is that people are not necessarily born into their profession, okay? Like, I wasn't born a pastor, even though my daughter Evelyn thinks I was. She thinks I was a little pastor because I used to be a children's pastor back in the day. So she calls me, when you were a little pastor, like when you were five, you know, and she <laughs> says these things to me. You know, no, no, no. We're not born into our profession. These Pharisees were not born Pharisees. It was something that they chose. 
They chose it as a walk of life, as a mode of living. And so I imagine before they made that choice, they were probably a lot like everybody else, right? But as they started down that path, their diet changed, how they dressed changed, where they went, the people they hung out with changed. And so over time, the differences between them and and the uh, people in their community got greater and greater and greater, okay? And as their differences became greater, the number of people they could relate to became smaller and smaller because they didn't want these sinners, these regular folk, to taint them. You see where I'm going with this, okay? Why did they think and act like that? Why would they choose to not build relationships with people who could benefit from what they knew? I mean, what is the use of having a heavenly mindset if it doesn't produce any earthly good? One of the things that came to me as I was studying this was our heavenly mindset is only as good as the good it produces on earth. Otherwise, we might as well be in heaven. And that's where the Pharisees were. Okay, they were of no earthly good. They did not share what they knew about scriptures with others. And yet we don't see Jesus having that struggle at all. We don't see Jesus naturally separating himself as he grew in, in his, his uh, knowledge of who he was as the son of God, right? And I think you and I f- forget that we start out sinners like everybody else, right? right? And we still have our issues and things that we're growing in as God sanctifies us. You know, when we express faith in Christ, we become part of God's family. And so as we grow in our faith, we learn how to live our lives like Jesus would want us to. And this, this naturally creates a contrast in our lives, just like me and the other teachers. This creates a contrast. Well, I don't, I don't watch that. Well, why don't you watch that? Well, you know, and so forth. Get into that conversation, right? And if we allow that, naturally, we would allow that to be an issue. Well, you watch Game of Thrones and I don't, so I guess we can't talk about anything. <laughs> That's not the t- case. They've got kids. I've got kids. For, we're both teachers. You know, we both work in the same school. We both live in the same neighborhood. We both like that genre of movies, though we disagree on the appropriateness of that particular show, there's probably a whole lot more in common than, than what is different. And I think that's exactly where Jesus was. Jesus focused on what he had in common with these notorious sinners than what made him different, what made them different. Both of them needed to eat. Both of them needed to, or both of them had families. They had jobs. They faced challenges in life. And so Jesus focused on these things right? He built a relationship with them. And as a result, look again at verse one, they came back. He wasn't needlessly offensive. He was deeply religious, but not needlessly offensive to those who were not or to those who were, were seeking. I think that that is a wonderful testimony. In fact, when I wrote that in my notes, I said, man, as a teacher of the Bible, I wish I had that reputation. I mean, right now i minister to people who essentially know the Lord, okay? And that's great. I love you all. Wait, what day is it? No, I, seriously, I love you all. No, I'm teasing. And yet, how wonderful it would be to teach people who know nothing of God, but are hungry to learn 
And you and I have that knowledge. Some of you, you, you've been a Christian and walking with the Lord longer than I've been alive. You have a wealth of knowledge that you can use to share and help people who don't have it, but are hungry for it. And that's exactly what Jesus recognized, and that is why he spent time with them. I think that that Jesus did this routinely. I think that this was a common thing for him. I don't think this is a one-time deal. Um, if, even if Luke just wrote this one time, I think this was an ongoing, uh, ongoing just sort of interaction that he had as he sought out those who were lost in, with a uh, focus on saving them. Let me show you one specific example of this. And I, I love how Luke uses the, the phrase notorious sinners because go to Luke 19. Go to Luke 19, chapter, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I want to look at a specific example involving a notorious sinner. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10 said, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a, the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree uh, beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Is anybody else singing the song in your head right now? <laughs> when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be your guest in your home. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the house. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Verse 19, uh, 19.10 says, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So one of these notorious sinners, maybe even from the group that Jesus had been meeting with earlier in chapter 15, came to hear Jesus teach. His name was Zach. Notice how much effort Zacchaeus took to hear Jesus teach. There was such a hunger in his heart that he climbed a tree just to get a better view and to be able to hear better. Speaking of trees, did you know how I had a pet tree? Yeah, I had a pet tree. It's just like having a pet dog, except the bark is a lot quieter. You liked that one. I know you did. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. When was the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree for anything, especially a rich man, right? Do you ever go out in your neighborhood and see a man climbing a tree? No, not for fun, right? It, maybe there's something up there he's trying to get down. He's probably grumbling and cussing the whole way, right? But the point is Zacchaeus was extremely eager. I think Luke included that detail. He climbed a tree for crying out loud just to see and to hear better. And when Jesus noticed him, I think that's the first thing to point out. Jesus noticed him, but not only did he notice him, but he called him by his name. One person defines fame as this. Fame is when a lot of people know one person, but that person doesn't know them back. 
I thought that was a pretty good definition. A lot of people know a famous person's name, but the famous person doesn't know everybody else's name. And I think that's kind of where Jesus was. It would have been very reasonable for him to say, hey, you, come on down. You know, what, what's your name? He didn't even ask his name. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down, which makes me think he might have been part of that group in chapter 15. But the real point is, is that knowing someone's name communicates importance. It communicates that, hey, they're valuable to you and to I. Uh, one person testified after meeting a vice presidential candidate uh, that they noticed how that this candidate made a point of knowing people's names and using them during conversation. And so when the uh, candidate shook her hand and made sustained eye contact with her and said, nice to meet you, Karen, she was stunned because, one, they really didn't know each other, but he wasn't even running for office anymore. So, he, you know, he didn't have anything to gain by knowing her name. But it just communicated to her, wow, that is so cool. That made such an impression on her. And so when I look at that and back into scriptures and I see Jesus communicating how important Zacchaeus was, so important that out of all the crowd, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. Sorry, crowd. You know, I have to, I'm going to go and just hang out with this one man. Think of how important Zacchaeus may, uh, must have felt, which is probably the reason why Jesus had such uh, an impact on his spirituality. I mean, look at what this, go back to verse uh, 8. Look at this again with me. He says, I will give half, half my wealth. Talk about responding with repentance and with like, I love the Lord. I'm so thankful to be saved. Did any of us give away half of our wealth when we came to know the Lord? I didn't, right? I didn't have very much at that time, but even, I wouldn't have given it half away. But Zacchaeus did. He gave away half his wealth. And on top of that, he gave back four times as much as he cheated. And Jesus is just standing there and he's saying, surely this, this guy is saved. If anybody has come to a right relationship with God, it's Zacchaeus. And he said, this is exactly why I came. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. But when he sought them, he couldn't save them unless he sought them out. And he couldn't, once he found them, he couldn't save them until he built a relationship with them. And part of that meant just simply knowing them by their name. I think there's a lot that we can pull from this. And so I have to wonder, first of all, is this true in your life? Is the, are these things true in your life? Are people's spiritual lives changed after interacting with you? Do people walk away from hanging out with you going, wow, they are so cool, and they just, they're going on and on about how they're challenged in their faith. Are they so inspired by their relationship with you that they're willing to repent and make restitution? I, I don't know if I personally have that testimony yet, but I wish I would. So how can you and I have the impact that Jesus did? Well, I think it starts with this. One, I think it starts with engaging people rather than avoiding them. Okay, you ever duck to the other side of the grocery aisle because you see somebody you don't want to talk to? You kind of like turn the corner and you're like, oh, and you kind of do that, just kind of swing, <laughs> swing around. And you're kind of like, oh, there's my boss, or oh, there's my, you know, oh, yeah. How many of you have ever done that to me? 
That's what I really want to know. You need to engage people rather than in, uh, avoid them. People who are highly engaging take a genuine interest in what the other person is sharing. Okay? One thing that I have to, again, work on, I got good at it for a while, but then I got bad at it, is doing this. You're talking to me, I'm like, how many of you do that? Slap that phone right out of their hand. Just whack it. Knock it. Unless they don't have a case, you know, that could get hairy. Might start a fight with that one. But no, seriously, put your phone away. Make eye contact. Ask some good questions because when you do that, you're communicating to the other person that, hey, you are important. And we see Jesus doing that with tax collectors, notorious sinners, and Zacchaeus, which is why he was able to change their lives. Second thing that you can do to have an impact like Jesus is focus more on what you have in common rather than what makes you different. Someone once said that connection Connection is the first step toward relating. You know, in the United States, we have a very uh, individualistic society, right? We pride ourselves on standing out from others. And we're even taught, even at a young age, that we, like, we sort people into groups, right? Immediately when we meet someone, we're sorting them into a group. Are they safe, unsafe, attractive, uh, unattractive, rich, poor? Are they our race or another race? You know, we go, God just really fast. When we first meet somebody, we're already sorting them out. It's kind of a survival mechanism, I think. But we're sorting them out. We don't even know them, but we're just putting them in a pile because we, that's just how we get by, right? And not only do we put people in their groups and in their piles in our minds, but we look for where we have advantages over them. We're very competitive in the United States. And so we look to find our differences and which one can I leverage so that I can like get ahead, Right? Well, I don't know if that's all uh, the very best way to like, build relationships with people, okay? I think that that's why we have such turmoil politically right now because we're just constantly sorting people into, well, I can't get along with you, you know? You're, you're one of them people, you know? I can't share the gospel with them. Have you seen their economic policy? You know, you just immediately you throw your hands up because you think differently on this issue, Instead, Jesus went and he found, okay, what do we have in common? You know, we live on the same street. We have our kids in the same schools. We have these things. Do you have to eat? Oh, I have to eat. Maybe we could get together and eat, you know, and talk. How can we make an impact in people's lives if we don't relate to them? And so we have to get over that. We've got to look and find what do we have in common rather than what makes us different. The third thing that you can do is remove social barriers rather than leverage them. When you're interacting with someone who is at a lower status than you, you just name the situation, there's all sorts of things that we compare each other with. But like Jesus and Zacchaeus, I mean, Jesus was a a teacher. He was a, a holy man. And Zacchaeus was known as a notorious sinner. And so they were in that society naturally at a different plain, right? And yet Jesus like kind of leveled that a smidge when he's not only when he came, got Zacchaeus come down, called him by his name. I'm sure, I wonder if Jesus even said, hey, just call me Jesus, you know, put him on a first name basis. And yet Jesus, we see Zacchaeus still calling him Lord, right? And so I thought about this as I was just kind of practicing through this sermon. I thought, you know, like if you're a doctor or somebody like you guys call me Pastor Mike, and you're whatever. You're, you got this title that goes with, with your profession. 
right? And you come down and, and you say, hey, just call me Mike, or hey, just call me, you know, whatever, you're Dr. John Smith, call me John. You know, those people usually end up calling you Dr. Smith anyways. But the simple gesture of just saying, hey, just call me John, how are you? Know, how are you? you know, I, I could see Jesus doing that. Hey, Zachary, just call me Jesus. You know, and say, all right, Lord, I mean, Jesus, you know, you do that sort of thing. There's still that respect there, but it kind of levels things a little bit, and, and it opens the door for a relationship to start to say, instead of when you come, I know some people that when, they, when you meet them, it's like they got this invisible bag of stuff, like, welcome, and they start pulling out their degrees, and they like show you their Lexus car keys, and they're like, yeah, I live on this street, and like, yeah, how are you, you know, and you're like, intimidated. You're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, you can call me doctor and don't touch my car, by the way. You know, that sort of a thing. You know, you need to maintain a three foot radius at all times. You know, that sort of, that's not how you build relationships. <laughs> you know, you have to get down and you, you know, hey, just call me, just call me Jesus, he says, right? And so think about that. Three different ways you can Build, start building relationships and then having the impact that Jesus had in people's lives. You'll notice that none of these things are expensive. They won't cost you anything, okay? They're not fancy, they, but they will require you to change your attitude and your actions. It will change, require you to change how you think about yourself and about others, okay? Maybe if you're like that, that guy I just described, you're gonna have to think about yourself a little less or a lot less, right? And you're gonna have to think about other people you have to raise the value of other people, especially people who are drastically different than you, okay? I'm saying that it's not going to be easy, but if you and I start working on that today and we continue to work on this aspect of our faith, then we are going to start having a greater spiritual impact on people's lives. And why would we do that? Why would any of us do that? Why would we want to go out of our way to improve how we relate? I mean, don't we have enough friends? Don't we have enough people in our lives? Maybe so. But as followers of Jesus, what's our first goal? Our first goal is to become more and more and more and more like him. And so if Jesus, if this is how Jesus was with people, and our goal is to model our lives after him, then I think learning how to build relationships like he did is a pretty good place to start. Would you agree? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's close in prayer. Praise God. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you that uh, despite our tremendous difference with you, you still came to us. You sought us out. You built a relationship with us and you saved us, God. Not a one of us can stand here today as professing followers of Christ and say that we have so much in common with you and that's why, that's why you saved us, Lord. Paul teaches us that we are, that you loved us when we didn't love you. When we, hate, when we hated you, God, you still came. You sought us out. When we were drastically different, you still loved us and we still are different, God. We're unholy at times. We do things, say things, think things that uh, Jesus wouldn't do or think or say. So we just pray, please help us. 
Help us to relate to you better. Help us to relate to those around us in our neighborhood or at work. Maybe people even in our own family. Maybe in our spouse or our kids even, Lord. Just help us to find what we have in common and engage them and not be so distracted all the time. That we would become endeared to them and that we could have a, an impact in their lives for your glory, for your kingdom, God. That we could accomplish the purpose you have for us. Lord, I pray a blessing on every person that's here today. I love them. I know you love them so much more. I pray that you walk with them this week. Let them feel your presence. Let them know your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are loved. Have a great week. If I didn't get a chance to greet you, come and find me real quick. Love to hear how you're doing. And if you need a, uh, want a copy of The Case for Christ, come and see me. I've got a couple. I told you I would have those, and I do have those today. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.